Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Peak Planning and my friend Jeff Martin. They build high-performing teams for venture-backed growth companies and venture capital firms. They offer a facilitated leadership team session with tools that focus on focus focus on getting alignment and accountability amongst the team. Jeff and team are great at getting the team on board with a three-year vision, a one-year plan, quarterly OKRs, and tools to keep them on track along the way. I have several friends that have used peak planning very successfully. So if you're interested in learn more, message me, and I'm happy to introduce you to, to Jeff over at peak planning. I'm super excited to have Minnie Ingersoll with me on the podcast. Before we get to hear from her, though, let me tell you a little bit about Minnie. She's currently a partner at 10110, which is an LA-based venture capital firm who's actively investing in early-stage tech companies. They've made dozens of really interesting investments in several of the most prominent SoCal founders companies in the last many years. They've had several acquisitions already. They've minted some unicorns and even had a company go public. Minnie also leads their podcast, which is called LA Venture, and is a great listen for anybody that's focused on startups and venture in this area. She previously was the co-founder of Shift Technologies, which became a newly public company, and they're focused on buying and selling cars and making that fun, fair, and accessible to everyone. She was also previously a COO for Code for America, And she was also a former commissioner of the city and county of San Francisco, which I'm sure was a very interesting role. Earlier in her career, she was also in product at Google. So she has that foundation. Minnie grew up in LA and she returned a couple of years ago to join 10110. And she's been all in on LA since returning, which I greatly appreciate. Minnie, it's great to have you back in the area and awesome to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for the great introduction. That was lovely. Absolutely. So let's start with what you're doing today, which is 10110. So what are you most excited about in the portfolio right now? Sure. So um, we're seed stage investors and some of our bigger companies that are very exciting might be sort of our fund one companies. We've got Crexy, Flock Freight, a lot of great Southern California companies. Um, but maybe some of the ones that I'm excited about might be some of the more recent investments. Uh, we've got a great company called Health Tensor. They're uh, automated diagnoses for physicians. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you think of the future and you think, will physicians still need to remember everything in their heads, still need to be remembering the coding for everything? Um, no, you know, it's like us having to remember our phone numbers back when we were children. Um, and, or, you know, use maps or all of these things. And, uh, you know, for the physician, it's, it's not replacing the physician. It's really helping them with their note-taking and their coding. And for hospital systems, it's uh, helping them bill more. And so it's kind of a win for everyone, including patients. Um, very exciting Southern California company. Uh, we have another great company called Vested. So that's Health Tensor, a great company called Vested. It's kind of like Robin Hood for India. Mm. Um, anyways, been making a lot of, we've been on a tear recently, making a lot of uh, hopefully really good investments. Very cool. It's been a really odd year for everyone, obviously. 
how has life been as a SoCal VC and for you in this past year? How would you, how would you think about that life? Which usually is out, you know, interacting with people every day. Yeah, I mean, I miss interacting with people for sure. Uh, you know, different thoughts on it all. So one is, you know, fundamentally, I'd say my job is a bunch of first meetings. Mm -hmm. And that's true, whether that's on Zoom or in person. And it's, that's just kind of a weird way of living, which is just meeting everyone for the first time. And rarely do I, not rarely, but a lot of times it's not a second meeting with whoever I'm talking to. Um, and so that's just been an adjustment versus being a founder where you have your team with you. Um, but, you know, there's there's an efficiency to Zoom that's great. And, um, and, and for me, it's also just been a big change. You know, I wasn't a V, I haven't been a VC for all that long where I was in person. Mm -hmm. So just being a VC is a very different thing for me. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting intellectual growth that has come along with it. Sure. And I, I definitely want to spend some more time talking about that transition and, and the job itself. Uh, before we, we delve more into that, though, as you think about the areas, you, know, you, you probably had time, as you said, you know, sort of the intellectual challenge. Uh, uh, think a lot about areas of innovation or categories that you're particularly interested in. What, what areas would you say you're most uh, interested or, or excited by right now? Yeah, and actually, I was thinking about the the change from this past year, and I'll just share one analogy. <laughs> Tell me if this works at all. It might be just too weird. Um, my friend said in the Watchmen, the movie, it it starts to rain squid out mm. of the sky at some point, and it's like, what is going on? This is crazy. And then when it does it repeatedly, every time it rains squid, and you're like, my children aren't going to school again. Um, you kind of fall in. You're like, oh, we can have founder meetings, we can have LP meetings, we can do our job on Zoom. And I feel very lucky that our job mm -hmm. is a job that really can be done on Zoom. Um, so whatever, it's like raining squid, I guess is what I was gonna say. Yes, I love <laughs> it. That might be the headline of this episode. It's raining squid, <laughs> Ingersoll's fine with it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so areas of innovation. Well, first off, I'm just a people person fundamentally. And so what gets me most excited is definitely the founders that we're talking to. And um, as you said, I do this podcast and I ask a lot of different VCs what they're excited about. And some people are like, we are not thesis driven and we almost have a thesis about not being thesis driven. <laughs> and I'd say I fall into that camp <laughs> more. Um, I fundamentally believe that if I'm sort of sitting in my office, which is like a, whatever, a laundry room here. But um, if I'm sitting <laughs> in my office and I've got my whiteboard and I'm trying to come up with, you know, kind of where I think the world is going, I'm just too far removed from a founder who is sitting in an industry, seeing what's going on with an industry, you know, develop something for their own need, that sort of thing. So, so fundamentally, I start with a, I'm excited by meeting great founders. Mm -hmm. um, that said, 10110, uh, we like automation efficiencies. It's usually, um, it's usually big legacy industries as opposed to sort of the flashier can, well, we, we, we do almost no consumer. So flashy or otherwise, it's usually not a consumer company. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, a great example for us might be true accord, which is automated consumer debt collection. You know, we did not sit in our office and think, you know what? let's focus on automated consumer debt collection. This is, you know, people calling you saying, here, you owe me money. Mm -hmm. um, but it has a lot of the characteristics that we like at 10110, which is 
automation. It's very sophisticated machine learning that develops a moat over time because it does it over and over. Um, and the founder is on a mission to help people come out, get out of debt. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, a super positive NPS score for a debt collector. All yeah. of those things we love, but I didn't set out to say ahead of time, let me think about automated consumer debt collection. Sure. Yeah, but great, in, great in example. LA, <laughs> in LA, I will say another one interesting area because I'm hiring for this area. So um, is the intersection of gaming media and uh and tech and mm -hmm. so you know if i think it's like half of children or kids under 18 are playing roblox like right now <laughs> maybe it's sure. not right now but like as soon as school get out gets out yeah. um so that sort of stuff is very interesting and again i'm not investing in media or gaming studios but all of that infrastructure like what's mm -hmm. pushing tech forward is exciting to me that's right and i think you know you you're seeing a lot of tech being pushed forward by the gaming industry. So that's one area in particular because I'm hiring associates. So that's that's top of mind right now. Sure. And I think to your point, I mean, that that's an area that I've ended up spending considerable more time in than I thought when, when we um, got into this, partly because the gaming industry in general, I feel like is leading the world in showing us what the future state of the world is likely to be in a lot of ways, right? If you think about even enterprise organizations are probably going to more resemble massive multiplayer games than you or I care to uh, believe. Mm -hmm. But I think that those are very indicative of how people interact and um, COVID realities probably made that a little more apparent to people as well. I mean, we are we are living on Zoom, which is right. living online and, and I think your identity and how you portray that and how you interact and Obviously it's social media, but it's, you know, it's the concerts that draw 5 million fans. Mm -hmm. Like that didn't happen before. It's crazy. So that's right. I think that's, that's exciting for sure. Absolutely. Well, you, you mentioned it. I, I did as well. You, you were a former founder. And as you think about now looking to invest in other founders, how does the fact that you, you were one influence you? Well, I mean, I'm still kind of learning VC. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is taking whatever, you know, the skills I had as a founder. And the thing that I probably did as a founder, but also at Google, like it, if I think of what was my core skill, I was actually a hiring manager. Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of what I did mm -hmm. for the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a lot of the same thing that I'm doing as a VC. I totally agree. And I don't think that's talked about. That's a fascinating way to, to think about it. Yeah, well, especially if you're less thesis driven, um, and and maybe I'll become more thesis driven over time. But right now, a lot of that skill of interviewing people, and so I, I um, and Google gives you badges, right? Google gives you things. It's like Girl Scout badges. Um, when you've done your 500 interviews, when you've interviewed a thousand people, and so at some point, I'd interviewed a thousand product managers, and um, and one of my questions was something like tell me about a time you disagreed with the tech lead or the engineering manager, right? And actually, I, I don't know if it's like, tell me about when, when I'm interviewing two co-founders. I don't necessarily say like, what, do you, what have you disagreed on? But like, what's the tension? Like, where do you guys, you know, what are you guys actively discussing right now? And so some of those same things, I think um, very much apply to being a VC, which is lucky because I hadn't been a VC before. So I'm, sure. I'm learning on the job here. Um, but then also just, you know, from being a founder, oh, 
so many things, Carrie, so many things, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, if I had to say the other thing I did and learned and, and struggled with all of, all of that was communication mm -hmm. and, and communicating, um, whether that was being a manager and learning how to, you know, manage people in, in different ways, or just run a meeting and talking about, you know, this, this meeting's a brainstorming meeting. This meeting has a tight agenda. It's not a brainstorming meeting. All of that stuff makes me, when I look at founders, I think they need to be strong communicators. And mm -hmm. so 10110, uh, we tend to be fairly technical and look at, mm -hmm. at fairly technical founders and technical companies. Um, or, or, you know, it's not cutting edge, but it, and sometimes I don't understand the, the technology all that well, but I have to say, you need to be able to explain it to me. I'm reasonably intelligent. This is what mm -hmm. I tell myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm reasonably intelligent and I'm, and I'm listening with as much effort as I can. And if I still don't get it, and then I ask you to repeat it and I still don't really get it. Like that's, that's kind of deal breaker. So, mm -hmm. so. I think that that emphasis on communications in sales mm -hmm. and sort of sales communication, because you're selling to me, you're going to be selling to your new hires, you're going to be selling for your next round of financing, sure. um, you're selling to your customers, all of that, everything communications related, I think is um, something I probably over index on. Mm, super interesting. And I think I like how clear you are about that, because it, 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 it is I mean, a good, uh, that's why salespeople tend to be great interviewers when you're, when you're interviewing for sales, yes. like, I mean, you're like, they're, you know, they're, they're trained to sell, you know, sometimes engineers aren't as good at selling themselves. It, and, it's, and yeah. so I think that idea of really thinking of it in more of a true hiring manager interview lens is fascinating. And I think uh, the other thing that surprised me about VC is how much of my job is sales. Mm -hmm. I think a founder's job is sales. I think a VC job is sales, right. and it's hard. And it's and it's um, it, it surprised me. I mean, I said all my a lot of my time is just first meetings, but you know, I have to be able to pitch my whole portfolio. And we probably have seventy five companies in our portfolio, mm -hmm. over half of which we invested in before I joined the firm. And yet you're going to say, hey, Minnie, tell me the founding story of or why you invested in Flock Freight. I don't know. I wasn't there. Sure. And so, you know, it's just the constant. And yet I want to be able to if I run in, if I'm in an elevator or whatever the equivalent is nowadays um, with, you know, a Series B investor, I want to know everyone I've got in my portfolio that's a Series B ready company. So, um, yes. yeah, so I look for that a lot in, in founders. Totally. That's that's great. So I think I um, you, you cover this a little bit, but are there a couple moments or even I'd say attributes that just dazzle you when you see a founder that just demonstrates something? Is there something where you kind of sit back and go, whoa? <laughs> um, yeah, all the time, all the time. Luckily, all the time, even for the ones I don't invest in mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, and so it's related to communication, but it's um, if I learn something, and I love if I learn something, if I'm if I'm learning and I'm understanding something I didn't understand before, and I'm seeing your insight, your vision, I want to keep talking. And I think an, an, a founder's goal of the first meeting, as I said, it's a lot of first meetings, is to just have the second meeting. Second meeting, that's right. You're not going to close. You're very rarely going to close it on that first meeting. So yeah, it's get the second meeting. I agree. 
Yeah. And you don't need to tell me everything then in the first meeting. Like it doesn't, or, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, when you go to pitch competitions, which we used to, you know, when you'd sit on a panel and everyone would storm the panel and try to tell you their pitch. I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to get it. I don't remember <laughs> things like this. Um, but the whole goal should be to have another meeting. And so I think, you know, and I, I guess maybe that's a low bar for dazzling, but it's that just gets you so excited. And mm -hmm. if nothing else, you're you're learning and want to keep talking. So, um, so I think that 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 that's a big one for me. That's great. Well, on on the flip side, what do you think the most common reason is that you would quickly pass? Yeah, and you know, here's an answer to both of those. This dazzles me, or it's a big reason I don't pass, which is um, when your life is dedicated to something that dazzles me when it's so clear to me that you are working on solving, identifying, helping patients with rare genetic diseases. That's what you have your PhD in, or, you know, that's what you've been working on your whole life. And now you're starting a company around that. And if this company doesn't work, you're still going to be working on essentially the same thing. Like, so to me, if this idea doesn't work, you know, the idea might exactly not work as you've planned it, as you've sketched out a napkin, but then you'll find a different way of working with pharma companies, that sort of thing. That dazzles me, but it's also a big turnoff in, in, on the flip side when the opposite happens. Mm -hmm. And it's subtle. And so here's a, here's a subtlety for me, which is I, I have three children. Um, and I, go, I. <laughs> I thought you did. Um, and you go to the daycare and you say, wow, this daycare or this, you know, whatever. They, they don't have a great CRM system. They're not keeping track of their billing. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, their billing systems all mess up. They don't even know who's showing up every day. And, and the regulatory, you know, the, the regulation for family daycare is different. I'm a tech person. I'm going to solve that. It sounds good. People tell me that sort of story all the time. That's their founding story. I don't like that nearly as much. That's like, you know, I'm a tech person. I think because I'm techie, I can come solve this mm -hmm. problem mm -hmm. versus um, I run, uh, I ran a daycare. I then built three more daycares. I have a, now I run a franchise daycare system. I built this software for my own seven daycares yeah. and it's successful there. And now I want now to expand it. it. Yeah. And that subtlety is a big either turn on or turn off of how dedicated I think someone is. Um, and this kind of goes back to the founder journey and what do I think, how do I think about it and how do I see things? I see the founder journey as 10 years. And so, mm -hmm. you, you know, you need to be able to say, uh, my partner, Gil, he actually said this on my podcast and I, it crystallized things for me, which is, um, he thinks, you know, everyone talks about startups failing frequently. Um, but he says, if you could take out all the, the founders who give up in less than 10 years mm -hmm. and the people who are just willing to, oh, I'm just going to sleep on the floor for a little bit. I'm going to get this going. I, I didn't raise money, but like, this is the thing I'm going to work on. I'm going to just keep doing it for 10 years. If you keep doing it for 10 years, you're likely to get to some good, reasonable That's outcome. Right. That's kind of his philosophy, which I've, I've sort of adopted. Um, and so, you know, when I look at founders, some of that is, do they know that this is a 10 year journey? Mm -hmm. And, you know, are they just going to be like, look, this, this isn't paying me anything. It's not satisfying. I wasn't able to raise capital. I'm going to go get a normal job because there's that option. Um, and that's a fine thing, but that's not the sort of business that is likely to succeed versus, you know, it's going to have ups and downs and huge ups and downs. Um, and I'm just going to kind of keep going at it even when it's not fun. Yes. And 
I mean, th- that's not the one that you're likely to want to invest in either. Mm. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, you, you really want, I mean, I, I talk to founders a lot about that. You, are you sure you're ready to sign up for the next, you know, I use usually eight to 10 years of your life that you should at least mentally uh, test yourself that, that mm. that's the likely time frame you need to be ready for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same as probably what, you know, when you're talking to investors and you say, plan for your money to be locked up in this fund <laughs> for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and so it's, yeah. I, I mean, think, I, I and it's, it goes to my own experience too, which is both Google and Shift sounded great. And like early days of Google, people would say, isn't it the best job ever? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is early days of Google. Like you've got sushi chefs or, you know, you've got a bus, a fancy bus that drives you to work or whatever. And you're like, yeah, but you know, my project's still late and I don't really agree with my manager right now. Mm-hmm. And like, and yet the best thing to do forever was don't quit Google. Like, <laughs> um, yep. and, and even shift, which, you know, as you said, it, it started, it, you know, I started in my, my co-founder's apartment, just me and him. And now it's a public company. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Well, yeah. And yet it also sucked, right? Like, let's, mm-hmm. let's be clear. There were times we had to, you know, go through that. Yes. On not fun stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is just a, a part of it. So I, I have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this show, we, we end up talking about a lot of specific things like you, you've just shared. So you, you know, just referencing shift. So when you were starting that with your co-founder, you think about the skills that you had at the beginning. How do you think now, as you look back, what, what do you feel like you had at the time that prepared you to start a company? So mostly nothing. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really. Which totally isn't true, but I'll, I'll let you expand on that. Looking back on it, I really, I, I feel like the kids today, Carrie, <laughs> I feel like everyone is, knows more than I did. Um, and I, the, and um, I hadn't studied entrepreneurship. I wasn't setting out to be an entrepreneur. I, I really. I didn't know, you know, the way sort of companies, you know, at some point we decided to raise money and, and, um, and someone told us, take the fund size, divide by 50, and that's the size check they want to write. Mm. So just go divide, divide by 50 and ask them for that much money. <laughs> um, I mean, that was kind of like, and that was gold. That was like mm. the best advice I got. Um, so I don't feel like I, I had a whole lot of skills going in. I think, you know, in retrospect, the thing that I am good at, and this is a constant since I was 13, is I'm kind of a, a camp counselor. I'm kind of good at like, come on, guys, come on. <laughs> We're going to do archery in the 110 degree heat. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, and so that that wasn't, you know, maybe that's not the skill that serves you forever, but at least getting a company going, mm-hmm. there's an aspect of being like, and I hired some great people just based on the, come on guys, we're doing sure. archery. We're selling used cars. It's going to be amazing. Selling used cars is the best thing ever. Um, and so I think having that, um, that ability to, to hire people, but then also when we really early, early days, um, I was on maternity leave. We were selling cars out of George's apartment and, uh, what we did is we bought cars on Craigslist and then we sold them on Craigslist Mm. and we didn't own shift.com at the time. Um, We didn't really have a website going. And so a lot of people were like, well, why are you doing that? Like there are people who are car flippers 
who buy cars on Craigslist and sell them on Craigslist. Um, um, and so, but we just sort of were like, well, we're just getting going. We're just like, we're building momentum. We're doing something. Um, and I'm good at doing the something, right? It might mm -hmm. be the wrong something, but, mm -hmm. but actually I think that's true of a lot of startups, which is getting going and being in market. Yes. And sometimes people are like, well, you know, I, I'm not ready. My product isn't ready. Like we didn't have a website. We weren't doing anything other than buying and selling cars on Craigslist. But it turns out that once we bought and sold enough cars, we learned a whole lot about mm -hmm. how to price cars. And that was one of our fundamental things was that car pricing, used car pricing is not transparent, not based on data. It's usually like the guy in the back room, Vinny, I don't know. So I'm not sure. going to care. Yeah. The guy in the back room comes out and is like, I'm going to tell you what your car is worth. And that's what your car is worth. And it's historically, and actually there's been a lot of innovation in used cars, but um, historically it's not transparent. doesn't make you feel good. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and, and then the other thing was it turned out, and this is a very Bay area thing or, or maybe LA, but very Bay area, you know, startup. That, but once we did this enough times, there were patterns. And one of the patterns was that people were buying Teslas and selling their cars with us. Mm. And it turns out that Tesla won't take your trade in if you're buying a new Tesla, they don't want your gas car. Mm -hmm. They turn up their nose at gas cars. Mm -hmm. And so people had all these cars that, that the, just, you know, historically a used car dealer would take your trade in. Sure. Um, and this led us to go sit in the Tesla dealerships. We just like showed up with donuts and sat there. And anytime someone was buying a car, we tried to take their trade in. Yes. And that led us to a partnership with Tesla. And mm -hmm. then once we had a partnership with Tesla, we looked like a real company. And yes. I think that really got us off to the races. We we're like, hey, look, we've got a partnership with Tesla. That sounded impressive as opposed to, hey, we're just bringing donuts to the Tesla, you know, managers. Anyhow, um, well, I don't remember the question was something. The answer was I was a camp counselor, I think. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, funny because I'm sitting here thinking camp counselors are probably really good salespeople <laughs> because that is what you have. You got to convince a somewhat difficult to convince group of kids often to get excited about something. It's probably so, not like, yeah. it's probably not like the difficult enterprise sales. It's more like, you know, it's more like we're running up a mountain. It's something kind of yeah. simple, but yeah, used yeah. cars was, was a good fit. It turns out. <laughs> well, that's a, that's such a great story there. I, and I think particularly for what I picked up on was just being in market, what you learn that you, you probably wouldn't have seen that Tesla to gas car opportunity had you not been out in market you were just sort of studying things yeah. or so that's i think so instructive how you know when you you're thinking about so you had a co-founder does that strongly influence how you think about founders co-founder situations as an investor today and i, I have a follow-up question on that but i first want to start with that yeah i mean i think having a full team mm -hmm. uh, of complementary skill sets and I can definitely talk about where we were lacking, where it turns out a camp counselor and a visionary. I would say my co-founder, he, um, he, he had the vision, although interesting part of his vision, now that I look back on it, part of his vision was to be a public company CEO. Like that was a very strong mm -hmm. part of what drove him, which, you know, in some ways I think maybe it's a little sacrilegious to say it, but I think that it was a very strong drive for him. And, hmm. you know, we say you have to be dedicated to, you know, solving your mission and you're on a mission, but maybe your mission is because you really, really want to be a public company CEO. Um, Interesting. Yeah. 
uh, maybe uh, it, it was it was for him, I think, in, in retrospect. Um, you know, I think our favorite founding team probably has uh, someone who has a vision like the mm -hmm. thing. And everyone says that, but it's crystallized for me what I, what that looks like. And it really is like I know this industry and I know how it's going to evolve. And it's just killing me that I'm not building the thing. And 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 I see it so clearly in my mind. And George, my co-founder, sometimes would say, it is so crystal clear what our product roadmap is. And I would say, where is it crystal clear? You'd be like, <laughs> in my head. <laughs> uh, and it was crystal clear. And that goes back to communication. It was crystal mm -hmm. clear in his head what the product roadmap was. We had to communicate that to yeah. 200 employees, all of whom were had been hired in the past six months or something, mm -hmm. right? Like, so that was the challenge. Um, but uh, yes, I think, you know, when I look at founding teams, I want someone who's got that clear vision married with uh, a team that can execute on that mm -hmm. vision. And so for us, it often is, um, in fact, Flock Freight, uh, this logistics company is, is a good example of someone who knows logistics, someone who came from a 3PL actually mm -hmm. knows logistics, coupled with someone who I think maybe PhD from Caltech, super technical, understands sort of the whole algorithmic mm -hmm. side in order to make it happen. So sure. kind of that combination of execution and vision. Okay. And then as you think about how you made decisions, you and George and, and your early team, were there people that you would go to outside? You know, was there, what was, what was the way you used sort of, uh, you know, the internal team, external folks for helping on decisions? Decision-making, I think, is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. And- We could uh, spend a whole, whole podcast just on that, I'm sure. Yeah, actually shout out to Jeff Martin, who I also know from the mm -hmm. top of the podcast, who helps sort of put some of the yes. frameworks in place. Um, oh, decision-making, decision-making. Um, yes, there were definitely key people. Um, and there were, I have lots of thoughts on it. So key people, I would say we didn't hire FPNA fast enough. We probably didn't hire HR fast enough. There were two key roles that once we had them like opened up new horizons mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I, so FPNA reshaped how I thought about our business, how I understood our own business. Um, we knew what we were doing for sure, but actually once someone really put in place a good financial and operating model, this is you know not the backward looking stuff, but really we were, our business is complex because it's very much depending on cohort analysis of the cars you acquire. It's very seasonal. Mm -hmm. um, we're dropping prices every week on the cars we get in inventory. One side of the, the marketplace, uh, that funnel affects the other side very mm -hmm. strongly. So, um, so having interesting models there, and uh, one of my guests, Omar Hamoui, who was a partner at Sequoia before moving to LA, um, he's he said uh, not having a really good financial model. It's like the pilot of an airplane saying, "You know what? I don't have. I don't know what altitude we're at right now, but I've got an outsourced altimeter person, and you know they'll get back to me in a few weeks, and then we'll kind of know where we are." Um, and it's just. A ridiculous way to operate a company, um, and 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 we knew what we were, you know, we knew what our revenues were, we knew what our co you know our 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 expenses were, but but that was that was a key piece, um, and and another piece, I don't know that I'd call it key, but another sort of other people involved were the board and mm -hmm. learning how to manage the board to our advantage, 
um, was not something I would ever say we mastered, but it was definitely something I got better at. Mm -hmm. And so being back to a camp counselor, I'm a go, go, go person. Like I like to just get the next thing done. And I have, I know what I'm doing this week. Um, but I don't necessarily, I haven't necessarily said, what is our goal for the end of the year? Like, what are the big strategic questions? Like, what are those big rocks you need to tackle before you tackle the pebbles or whatever it is, right? And, um, and so using the board and saying, I know there's a strategic question, I'm putting it on the board agenda for three months from now. And then because it's on the agenda, it, it, it will force me to do the diligence in an operational way that'll turn into a PowerPoint deck for the board, but it's really just a way of forcing me to treat a strategic question like an operational task, mm. um, and and then you know get feedback from the board. But just sort of using using them better as opposed to sort of an exercise that we had to do uh, that just took away from our like that just was a lot of overhead because there was also that aspect of having just overhead there. Um, but just more broadly on the question of decision-making, so long answer here, Carrie. Um, okay. <laughs> it's a big one. Um, I think understanding what, well, maybe this is FP&A, understanding what metrics to look at daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and not also what you didn't want to look at it on daily, weekly basis, because there was a lot that, you, you know, just sifting through all of that and then understanding what the right cadence for that was and who's in the room and how to stay aligned with our my my co-founders and so you know we we or sort of the executive team had meetings on Mondays um, that was useful for us to all get aligned so the whole company felt we were aligned but um, I think at the start we didn't do enough of that mm. because the 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 countervailing force was um, having other people feel like we had closed door meetings that they weren't part of so if we spent too much time sort of huddling amongst ourselves, then other teams didn't feel like they were part of that. So anyways, the whole decision-making process, um, I have lots of other good frameworks that people have given me that to, to think about that. Um, but uh, I think that's a core piece of it. And it's a core piece of, I think, how VCs operate now is not just funding people who are banging the table and act confident like salespeople, as we yes. were talking about, but people who might be more soft-spoken are still getting a voice on and on. Interesting topic. <laughs> it is a very interesting topic. I mean, as a VC now, have you put any kind of board or other group in place as a firm to try to counterbalance you? Um, I, well, I think we've put more infrastructure, I guess is the right word, around decision-making mm -hmm. um, to make sure that we are voting on certain criteria in the same way that you might do a hiring committee and mm -hmm. try not to have it be based on did I feel you know how did I feel but really what what are the you know four attributes we're looking at four or five attributes we're looking at um, and and let's put um, data behind that and some of that for us is decision making but some of that is also so that backwards looking we can understand you know how we made decisions mm -hmm. in retrospect and sort of see you know, evaluate what we were doing. So um, I'd say that's probably one of the bigger things that we're doing right now. Okay, very cool. So we, I talked about you coming back to LA. 10-1-10 was the, the reason. 
uh, or the the catalyst. Really. I guess the catalyst. I'll say maybe. Uh, mm. But you tell tell me the story. Yeah. How yeah. how did you make this transition back? Uh, so no, good question. I decided I wanted to move back to LA for personal reasons. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I live with my parents actually in the house that I grew up in with my three kids and my husband, we all, and my niece. So there's That's a bunch awesome. of us. So I decided, and I've been trying to move to LA for like 15 years. I've been talking about it at least. Mm -hmm. um, but so it finally had the opportunity to move back to LA. So, you know, at some point I said, you know, I don't know if I can curse. I'll say, I say F it, <laughs> moving to LA. I'm just doing mm -hmm. it. I don't have a job. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get a job and I'm, I'm smart enough. I'm, you know, I can do it. And yet, you know, yet, you know, you also look at yourself and say, I'm qualified for everything on a good day. And I'm qualified for nothing on a bad day. Um, I'm sort of a general manager. Mm -hmm. so I'm a middle manager. That's mm -hmm. what I am. Um, anyhow. Uh, so I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know whether I'd Camp be a counselor. I mean, the, the, counselor. <laughs> yes. Um, sort of. And that, and luckily I found a job where I can still do a you lot of that. It. Um, I'm cheering for my founders. Like I'm yeah, still doing a lot of that. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but at some point you sort of know what you do, which is I like working with early stage entrepreneurs before being a founder. I was an angel investor. The way I got involved with shift is I wrote George, my co-founder, his first, or I don't know if it was his first, but like one of his first angel checks mm. before he had actually started the company. Um, and so I was an angel investor and, you know, at some point you've been around long enough. Uh, I studied computer science at Stanford 25 years ago or something like all my friends are, are entrepreneurs or VCs or angel investors. So I just kind of been in that space. So I was like, I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to find the female founders network. Cause that was kind of my network in, mm -hmm. in San Francisco. Um, I'm going to like join Techstars as a mentor and I'm going to do all those things because I just like doing that. And eventually, like, I'll find a role. I thought maybe I'd be like a COO temporary, like just helping helping someone get some systems in place. Um, but then it turns out that being a VC, you do all of those things, but someone pays you to do all those mm -hmm. things. I mean, it's kind of the best of all worlds. You still get to be a Techstars mentor and join the female founder, you know, the women in mm -hmm. tech panels and do that stuff. Um, but it's just kind of part of your job. So uh, so that was, that was really how I found 10110 is I moved here and, and just did like a whirlwind, get to know all mm -hmm. the VCs in town. That's awesome. So as you said, you'd, you'd been planning to try to move back for a while. What were the expectations you had about kind of the LA tech community or the VC community when you came back and, and how did it match with what you were expecting? Yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, I, again, I didn't know I was going to be VC. So I, sure. I kind of didn't know, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and uh, there were a few things like, so 10 years ago, I thought San Francisco, the Bay Area was the center of the tech yeah. world. And, um, and increasingly, it just that became less true. Um, and uh and, and, you know, a variety of things happened. And I think LA's growth in San Francisco's or the Bay Area's sort of, unfortunately, sort of decline kind of correlated. Um, and and I, I think I've just been surprised. I didn't know I was looking for this, but um, I've been surprised at 
uh, how much momentum LA has. Mm -hmm. so like when people ask me, what sort of startup should I join? Should I join one where the founder is someone who I want to become and inspires me? I'm like, no, join a startup that's printing money. Like the joining Google was fantastic. And the, mm -hmm. the rising tide lifted all boats very clearly at Google. Mm -hmm. um, and LA has that same feeling of it's just it's got the momentum and like there's more entrepreneurship and there's more everything and so that's been a really wonderful surprise mm -hmm. um i moved back to pasadena again to live with my parents and so it has been interesting to see how there's different areas of innovation in la mm -hmm. and and Pasadena. i'm on the board of innovate pasadena which is a great group mm -hmm. um orange county has different groups and um, you know, and, and Pasadena has a very nerdy, I live across the street from Caltech, mm -hmm. um, very sort of nerdy, a uh, lot of JPLs startups nowadays. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's fun. So, um, so just kind of seeing all of that and man, just seeing the growth is, is really exciting. So when you talk to your friends who are still in the Bay area, who maybe don't have the perspective on LA, how do you compare or contrast them? Or, or describe describe it to them. Yeah, I, I use this one. I I, I do do this because um, I'm I'm playing a constant game of Red Rover, Red Rover. Move, yes, exactly. you know, recruiting. Um, yes, that, that that goes to my camp counselor. I'm playing Red Rover with my um, executive recruiting skills. Um, so I say it is the difference between a uh, like a kind of a grumpy, kind of cold, overcast Wednesday morning where you wake up and you're like, oh, and a Friday afternoon where everyone goes around high-fiving. And, <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I think San Francisco, it's gotten harder, people are grumpier. And like, it's crazy to me, but in LA, sometimes I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a VC, I do venture capital. And people are like, that's so cool. What is that? What do you yeah. do? <laughs> and in San Francisco, of course, it's like people roll their eyes and, you know, I, I do VC. I'm not trying to say it's like the most noble profession or something, but like, I love it. And I love getting to work, especially at the early stages where you're working mm -hmm. with entrepreneurs who are just getting their companies going. I know you know a lot about working with really early stage uh, yes. entrepreneurs. In fact, I respect what you do a lot. Um, but that is just exciting. And it's, um, Super it's the Friday exciting. afternoon, like high five, Carrie, I love what you're doing. If we were yes. in person, I, you know, and that's the difference. Um, I and, love some, that. <laughs> and some of that goes with, with the momentum aspect too. So on that, you know, as you think about the next decade in LA, do you think that momentum continues? Do you think it starts to fracture like the Bay area to other parts of the country, other parts of the world? Or do you think LA is the place to be for the next 10 years? Yeah, I mean, you think about like, what are the major dynamics that need, that are in LA, mm -hmm. but one of the first and most important one is, do entrepreneurs want to live here? Yeah. <laughs> so I think the answer is yes. Um, and, you know, different reasons there, but I think, you know, we all know uh, that Southern California has more, graduates more engineers out of universities mm -hmm. than any other city. Well, great. You know, what does that mean? It, it used to mean that if you want to do entrepreneurship, you had to move to the Bay Area and people just, that was a natural path. I don't think that's true anymore, but okay. I'll share my personal experience, which is living in the community where I grew up. Um, and I spent my whole life in this house through high school um, and in this community, uh, there's just more commitment to the community mm -hmm. as 
as an entrepreneur, as a VC, whatever I am now, um, you know, there's more, I want to be part of this community. I want to, you know, know who's who I want to get involved. I want the local entrepreneurs to succeed. I do have a bias towards mm-hmm. taking meetings. Sure. We're not exclusively Southern California focused, but we certainly have a bias in that mm-hmm. direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that having entrepreneurs want to stay because they don't need to move somewhere else will only strengthen that cycle because in the Bay Area, there's a lot of transplants, right? It's a lot of people who felt like, oh, I want to do entrepreneurship. I'm moving here. I have to um, come here. Yeah. And so just sort of that feeling of this is home and I want to make this whole community work, I think is an exciting aspect of entrepreneurship blooming. And as entrepreneurship blooms, capital will follow, right? I don't Mm -hmm. worry about the capital not being here to support the entrepreneurs. Sure. Yeah, I think both of those effects that you you cite are really interesting. Number one, people coming back. Mm -hmm. And number two, people staying. If, mm-hmm. if we can just do that, I think you're, you're spot on that this momentum will continue to build in a, in a substantial way. I think another interesting thing, I mean, there's, there's so much playing in LA's favor, but um, when you look at the expansion of big tech, so mm-hmm. you look at Google and Netflix and Amazon and Microsoft all expanding their campuses here in yes. Southern California, uh, that only just strengthens the, the cycle. And I think, you know, they're recognizing the, the overlap of content and media and gaming and mm-hmm. Hollywood and all, you know, they're, they're making these big pushes into content. I mean, obviously Netflix is, but, but the Googles and the Apples of the world too. Um, uh, you know, that's just going to strengthen startups because it's more people who you can recruit, uh, you know, when they've done their stint there. And sure. so, so uh, I, I think that's playing into it heavily as well. Okay, Manny, we're coming up on the end of the show. Very unfortunately, we're, we we may have to schedule some other single topic like yeah, decision you're gonna making. Have to come, and, yeah, you're going to have to come on my podcast next. That that'll be stay tuned. La Venture for Carrie. Happy to do it anytime. What event? I mean, we we both love to be around people. What event around LA are you most excited to see come back to attend in person? Uh, you know, so many. Um, I have one coming up. It's not in person, though. I have one coming up that's uh, the First Look Southern California. There's actually a couple called First Look. I'm doing the one. I think I'm, I'm emceeing the Tech Track Day uh, for tech that's coming out of universities. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, some of those companies are too early for us to invest in sometimes. But um, they're all ones I want to follow because they're fundamental, like, science that's then, uh, you know, getting into the world that is changing the world. That's very exciting. Um, you know, one that, uh, I just did recently on zoom, but it happens every few, every couple months is the founder meet funder one. Mm -hmm. And it's the speed dating. And it's ridiculous that in, I forget how long they give us like three minutes per company, but in three minutes per company, you get to meet so many founders. And actually it's, it's ridiculous to me how much you can know, oh, this is just sort of the right stage. This has the right, it's about the right, like in our zone. And that's, mm-hmm. you asked why I pass. Well, 90% of the time is just not, it's just not right. I, I just can, I know off the bat, like, you know, we're looking for people who already have a product launch. Like we're looking for only B2B. Like there's just a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I love those speed dating things. Yeah, very, very cool. So last question you have a a new emerging entrepreneur. She's trying to build her network here in LA. What, what piece of advice would you have? Um, 
hustle probably, you know, I, I do think like, I'm just a hustler. <laughs> like I just, um, and I think, you know, I, I have one podcast listener who writes to every one of my guests, maybe not everyone. I don't know. I don't know her strategy, but like she writes to everyone and says like, I love this insight. I love that insight. And well, gosh, all the guests appreciate hearing from listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't quite know what she says, but I, I think she kind of just says like, I liked an insight and I don't know what her goal is, but I think she's just getting on the radar. Right. Um, and I think there's a million opportunities like that, um, that, you know, I, people sometimes say, how do you get into VC? And, um, and you kind of start doing it. You start going to the founder meet funder mm -hmm. events and maybe you're not pitching your own startup, but maybe you're um, listening to, you're meeting the other founders and trying to identify which are the good ones. And maybe I didn't attend that event. And so then you reach out to me and say, hey, there's a pitch I heard that kind of meets your investment thesis. Any of that stuff, just being creative. You know, I don't have the ability to go to every, um, you know, the, the UCLA Anderson pitch competition. But mm -hmm. so the person who's there and then like, figures out which are the good pitches, good fit for which Los Angeles seed stage funders. You know, there's a lot of that, that, that people sort of ingratiate themselves into the community and just start helping the community. And I think that that comes back around. Absolutely. Such great advice. Vinny, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing such amazing insight and wisdom and your personal story and for already being such a big contributor to the LA startup tech VC community in such a short period of time. And it's been such a pleasure to, to get to know you. And I look forward to finding many things that we'll work on together. So thanks again for joining today. Carrie, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.